welcome. I'm Kat Poland, and you're listening to Out of Line, a podcast where I interview individuals far more interesting than I am. Today's guest is author Art Colson. Art and I are agency siblings at Ravenquill Literary Agency, uh, where he just recently published a book, The Reluctant Storyteller, which I'll talk to him about today. And I'm not sure if I just made up that term, agency siblings, but it seems to fit in this situation. Uh, the founder of the agency, Jackie Lipton, has done a tremendous job uh, pulling all of us authors together uh, into one one big family, or so it feels. So definitely glad to have Art on today, and I think you'll find his insight um, about Native American culture uh, very fascinating. Uh, I know I learned a lot along the way, and it's left me wanting to know more, wanting to do more research. So I hope you enjoy today's interview. And there's going to be a lot of information and resources that we mention along the way. And so I will pull all those together in the show notes on my website, catpoland.com slash podcast. Well, welcome. Thank you for uh, joining me today. Uh, okay. I, if it's okay with you, I don't know if this is awkward. I'm just going to read your bio from your website. Sure. <laughs> um, it's mostly true. Yes, I love that. No, you are a very fascinating person. Um, and I, it made me realize how completely boring I am just reading. Oh, no, no. <laughs> There's nobody so, in this world that's boring, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so it says you're a Navy brat and born in Honolulu. How old? And, yeah, and then uh, said you lived there for seven months and then moved often, sometimes more than once a year. Said you attended 14 different schools on three continents before graduating high school. That's yep. amazing. Um, and uh, talk a little bit about your books that you've written. Said your first children's book, The Creator's Game, a story about a young lacrosse player, published by the Minnesota Historical Society, Society Press, and then in 2013. And then your book, Unstoppable, How Jim Thorpe and the Carlisle Indian School football team defeated Army. That was in 2018. And then your most recent book, um, The Reluctant Storyteller. It says it came out in 2019. Did you like re-release it through? Actually, so the first version was written for the education market, was a leveled reader. And then when Raycraft started, they came to me and said, would you do an expanded version of the book, an enhanced version with new illustrations? for the new imprint. So so Jackie actually, Jackie negotiated a great deal to license the previously written book. And I was able to restore some of the um, information that hadn't made it because of space in the first book. And the new illustrations are just dynamite. I mean, the original illustrations were were fine, but Carlin Bear Don't Walk just took the illustrations up a notch. Wow. Yeah. We're going to, um, really dig into more about your that book here in a bit. So I also read here that um, you were a writer and editor at magazines and newspapers all over the U.S. And uh, you served as the first executive director of the Wilma Mankiller Foundation and the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma. So, um, okay, I have to say too, I don't know, anybody listening, you have to go check out Art's website and this fun feature on the left here where you have your favorite city, favorite food, favorite color. I love that. I love that feature. (laughs) So in case you're curious and you want to look right now, Art's website is artcolson.com. That's A-R-T-C-O-U-L-S-O-N.com. I think that's great. Uh, Kids seem to too because I, I, you know, they come back to me and say, I know that you like this and I like uh, this. I'm like, where did you find that out? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's on my website. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. That, that's a good point. You know, if you're writing books for children, make your website interesting sure. for them, of course. And the ang- language is spoken um, English fluently, of course, and conversational French, Spanish, Italian, Ojibwe, and Cherokee. It's like, wow. I speak um, minimal amount of Spanish. I got my minor in Spanish, so I can carry on a, a bit well, of Well, they need definitely best me. But- well, I'm pretty rusty, but yeah. So yeah, no, just a very, very interesting background. And um, now, did you yourself serve in the military? I did not. No, okay. um, just just as a brat. Yeah, yeah. My but, my. Yeah. Go ahead. 
So I was just going to say lots of family members, uncles, brother, my dad, um, both grandparents, both grandfathers, mm. wow. aunts and uncles. So yeah, a lot of my family have been in the military. I, I did not. Yeah. My dad was in the Navy and his father, um, was in the Navy. My brother-in-law was in the Navy. So yeah, it's kind of funny. I yeah. I live in Kansas, you know, <laughs> smack down in the middle of the U.S. Right, right, up, right in the Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody was in the Navy. So I guess everyone to, yeah. to get out of here. So um, now did you live in Oklahoma then for a while? Nope. I've never lived in Oklahoma. Oh. I consider it home because that's where my, my yeah. mom's family is. Okay. But I, I've never lived there. Um, I get down there a few times a year. Um, not recently because of the, of the pandemic, mm-hmm. but um, go down, you know, visit visit a lot of friends I have down there and I still have quite a bit of family down there, not people I'm particularly close with. My grandmother and my mom got moved out to California back in the 1940s. Um, if you know that part of history, um, when the federal government was moving Indian people to urban areas, taking them off the reservation. And, you know, the point was to terminate the tribe. So if you take Indians off the reservation and get them away from their tribes, then they'll just assimilate and you can, get rid of the tribes. And so that big removal moved a lot of people to California was a big area. And so my mom and my grandma got moved out there and my mom married a Navy man that she met in San Diego. Yeah. Then I came along. Wow. Yeah. Wow. No. That's how we get out there. Okay. I have to admit this particular piece of information floored me. I consider myself fairly well read and I, I'm constantly devouring information about history, and I had absolutely no idea about this mass um, Native American removal from reservations in the 1940s. This is so interesting. I I had no idea about that history, so I think I'm going to learn a lot, and I hope that other people listening will learn a lot. Um, Wow. Yeah, that's so... um, We'll talk more about it later, but I also had some similar family crossings. I got a lot mm-hmm. of family from Oklahoma. Um, my dad uh, was born in Compton, actually, um, out in LA. Uh, okay. His dad was in the service, um, but his dad's family um, was from Oklahoma, uh, from the Tallahena area. So that's you know the, a lot of a lot of back and forth there, but yeah, definitely have a have a warm place in my heart for Oklahoma as well. And I mean, obviously being from oh, Kansas, yeah. it's close by, but you know, yeah, about, you're right, about, right up the road. Yes, I drive through yes. Kansas every time I go down there. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about specifically about your book. So I went to go order it and this is so pathetic. I don't know where my debit card is. So when I got okay. to order on your website, you know, I usually, I'm, I've been so used to like order things online. It automatically fills out your card number. <laughs> so I went, um, it didn't like autofill it. I was like, I really need to find my debit card. So I was wanting, I was hoping to have read the book or at least got it in my hands before we had this interview. But anyways, please tell me I'm not the only one who's done this and has settled for their debit or credit card to be missing for a period of time because it's just autofilled online. And don't worry, I did find my debit card. So tell me uh, more about the book. I love the premise. I love the um anyways go ahead you just you tell me about the book all right well the book's about uh, a young cherokee boy named uh chooch tenkiller who lives with his uncles and his mom and his grandmother in minneapolis which is coincidentally where i live but they live there because his uncles work for the bureau of indian affairs and his mom works for the indian health service in minneapolis and his grandmother and uncles are renowned storytellers they go they they tell stories at schools and festivals and things like that and, you know, make quite a good side living from it. And everybody assumes that Chooch is going to follow in the family footsteps, you know, in the family business and be a storyteller. And he really doesn't want to be a storyteller. He wants to be a chef. And so he's, uh, so the, in the book, his uncle and his uncle's best friend are going to Oklahoma back to the town that they're from in Oklahoma, the beautiful town of Greasy, Oklahoma which is um, just east of Tahlequah, up, mm. kind of up near Steelwell. And um, it's actually an excellent town, and it's uh, one of my favorite little towns in, in Oklahoma. 
And so Chooch and his uncle and his uncle's best friend are on a car trip and Chooch is having to miss a big lacrosse tournament. He was planning to play in for spring break. He's getting dragged along with these two old guys down to Oklahoma. They listen to him tell stories and he just doesn't want to be there. And, you know, he's kind of sitting in the car, kind of pouting and is, um, you know, his uncle and um, the best friend whose name is Zeke walking stick. So Zeke, tells Chooch's story on the way down because, you know, Chooch is complaining about doesn't want to be a storyteller. And, you know, his uncle and Zeke are telling him, you don't have to be anything you don't want to be. You be what you want to be. That's the only mm-hmm. thing you have to be is yourself. And so Zeke tells him a story within the story about kind of illustrating that point. And then when he gets to Oklahoma and they go to the festival, he gets a chance to um, do some cooking at the festival because it's an outdoor mm-hmm food festival and he gets to cook and he brings some food over to the elders and and one of the elders talks to him about being a storyteller and what it means to be a storyteller and it doesn't mean necessarily standing up in front of people telling stories there are a lot of different ways to tell a story you can be a dancer a you know singer songwriter and he said and you can tell your story with with food and so that's kind of the the message for chooch is you know be yourself you could be Mm -hmm. your only the only thing you're responsible for being in this life is yourself and then um, you know, you could tell your story and your family's story in a lot of different ways and mm-hmm. tell the way that's, that feels most right to you. That's the point of the story. Yeah. Um, hope, spoiler alert. Yeah, know, no. Gave away the ending. But um, I mean, that, that's really the story for a lot of kids who are reluctant to, you know, put themselves out there or they don't think their story is important or good enough. And, you know, just want to let kids know there's, you know, a lot of, a lot of different ways to tell your story and you don't Mm -hmm. have to be locked in any sort of box to tell your story, Mm -hmm. tell it the way that makes sense to you. I mean, kids, you know, spoken word or hip hop or, you know, there's a lot of different ways, um, you know, painting graffiti. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of different ways to tell your story. And I think that with the, you know, it's good for kids to hear that, that you don't have to just write a, you know, a five paragraph essay. That's that's Mm -hmm. not the only way to tell your story. Yeah, I think that's really important as for you as a writer to convey that message as well. Because I think I don't know, people say that to me all the time. Well, I could never, you know, be a storyteller. I could never be a writer. I can't do this, can't do that. But if you can help guide them into a way that they can tell their story in a different right. uh, venue that feels right to them. I was particularly drawn to the story. Um, so the whole premise of my podcast is called Out of Line, just talking about people who at some point in our life, made the decision to step out of line of where their projection, their projected path was in life, whether that's yep. leaving their faith or leaving their, the country or their family, you know, something, or, you know, people who just because of how they were born, I've kind of been put out of line by society. And so um, I thought it was a really important um, story for kids to hear that there's a way to, to navigate through that and still stay true to who you are. Um, I thought it was interesting too, because, you know, I I want you to talk more about um, what it's like, you know, like you talked before about um, your culture, people trying to take your culture away. And how do you, how do you navigate that through with your youth, you know, to try to help keep them engaged with the culture when they want to do other things. I mean, there must be kind of a, a conflict there sometimes. Well, I think that, you know, a couple of different answers to that you know as as people get older they they yearn for more of a connection to maybe who they are when they're young they're kind of still feeling the world you know kind of feeling their way in the world and um i think that as older people you know as adults and elders we also need to recognize that you know when the kids are doing things within the the mainstream culture what they're doing is part of our culture they are us i mean Mm -hmm. so if they're doing something differently than you would have done it that doesn't mean it's it's wrong it's just a different way of you know expressing something or you know so we have a lot of our native youth who um like write rap or hip-hop songs Mm -hmm. or whatever and people say well that's not traditional well tradition can progress right tradition and progress aren't always at loggerheads tradition Mm -hmm. can progress for the record, I absolutely love rap and hip hop. I think there is so much artistry in the lyrics and just the way words are woven together. And I'm absolutely fascinated by it. So, And, you know, the fact that these kids are expressing themselves and reaching audiences of other native kids or, or native people, not just kids, 
um, is important. And so we should, we need to be able to step back. You know, they're not, I mean, unless they're doing something that just runs counter to the way that we see the world, you know, and that's not what they're doing. They're just expressing, yeah. expressing themselves in different, different manners. It's not like they're saying, you know, this is, you know, antithetical to Cherokee thought or whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that's, that's a really important to keep in mind that, you know, we shouldn't be tamping down creativity mm. in any way. We shouldn't be keeping kids from expressing themselves in the most, you know, the way that most resonates with them or, or with their audience. And so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there, is there a time, there might be many times in your life that you've stepped out of line that you <laughs> went against the grain? Um, yeah, many times. Um, well, I think that particularly in becoming a writer, you know, I, I think that my family had it in their mind I was going to be a lawyer from early uh. on. They thought I was going to be a lawyer. And like my grandmother would say, the first American Indian Supreme Court justice, that's what she had in mind. Uh. And I was, I was pre-law in college, but I really, I mean, by that point, by the time I got to college, I realized that I could write. And that was the thing the teachers were most noting about my academic work was the writing. And I was, that got a lot of encouragement, like an eighth and ninth grade around that. So when I got to college, I, I took a lot of pre-law classes, but I also took a lot of, you know, English and composition classes. And I just found myself more drawn to the reading and writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the pre-law stuff wasn't as interesting to me. And so when I got out of college, I really didn't know what I was going to do. What, you know, what was going to do to pay the bills? You know, I wasn't going to become a, you know, uh, James Patterson, you know, coming out of college, <laughs> what am I going to do? And um, I took a job at a newspaper. And mm. I mean, that was a chance to get paid to write. And there's really nothing better for honing your craft than writing every day, <laughs> having to write every day because yeah. that's your job. And I did that for over 20 years. And so when you write every day for 20 years, you learn a few tricks. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where I kind of stepped out of line. My family had kind of an idea for me and I, I know my dad was he's, he's proud now but at the beginning he was pretty disappointed because you know I'd gone to this sense <laughs> of school came out with a lot of debt and then um, here I am my first newspaper job barely paid five figures so oh yeah it was, uh, yeah it was it was and the pay was pretty low and my dad was like how are you ever gonna live how are you ever gonna have a family how are you so it was, you know, it, it was hard transition for him. Plus being from, you know, military background, he had a mm. lot of distrust of the media. Mm-hmm. And so we worked through that quite a bit, you know, that just because the media tells a story you don't want them to tell doesn't mean they're bad or mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe you shouldn't be doing something you don't want people to read about. <laughs> I'm not talking about giving yeah. away secrets. I'm just talking about something that somebody might find embarrassing or, you know, otherwise not want to have out there but yeah that's funny it's like uh you know i've done pr and communications and stuff for years it's always like how does that look as a headline like what you're doing (laughs) when you see it front page headline how does that feel so yeah that's interesting yeah i'm Um, still working yeah i'm still working in government communications and when i was i was communications manager for one of the counties in minnesota and every time you know i get called in for some big something about the break and and I'd say, okay, let's start with what do we do wrong? What mm-hmm. if, let us be the ones to say what we did wrong yeah. because it's better to admit something and say what you're doing to fix it and why you won't do it again rather than having somebody say, aha, I caught uh-huh. you doing this. Yes. And so, you know, it's, that's a different way for people to think about things. They, they were so used to having somebody come in and tell them how to, you know, how do you keep this out of print? You're not going to keep it out of the press, but how do you make mm-hmm. it so that, you know, you recognize that you did something wrong and let's fess up. Let us be the ones to fess up. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I feel like that even within, even my own writing, even my own storytelling about my life, like <laughs> I'd rather tell my own dirt and, uh, <laughs> you know, release the skeletons from my closet before somebody else does, or just, you know, tell a better story than somebody else would tell about me. I was going to say, th- those are, those are the best stories. I mean, Nobody wants to hear about how great everything. I was just sitting around being boring all day and nothing happened. Nobody wants to read that. No, it's <laughs> funny. Like that. there's that meme that goes around something about, you know, I'd, I'd like to run for office so I can piece together my twenties or, you know, like <laughs> so you, people <laughs> yeah. are going to reveal all these stories about you. So yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Um, so tell me more. Okay. The festival you talked about in Oklahoma. So does that take the witch? 
the festival you go to in oh, Oklahoma. Yeah. yeah, tell me more about that. So the Cherokee National Holiday happens every year um, at the same time that everybody else celebrates Labor Day. Um, and about 100,000 people come to Tahlequah in the area, this area surrounding the capital. And it's called the Cherokee National Holiday celebrates the signing of our Constitution after the Trail of Tears. And um, it also is called the Cherokee Homecoming. So if you live away, like most of us do, you're supposed to come home at least once. I go home every year. I try to anyway. And um, there's a lot going on. There's, there's a powwow. I play stickball on Saturday night. There's a big men's game at the high school. So we have like 30 guys on the side playing stickball. Um, uh, let's see, there's traditional foods cook off, all kinds mm. of traditional games. And it's fun. There's a rodeo. I mean, it's wow. everything you can think of a classic car show. It's huh. just this huge, um, you know, citywide festival. Um, and it's uh, kind of, you know, my end of the summer going down there and hanging out. There's a big parade on Saturday and mm. then the, um, chief does a state of the nation address at the, at the court, the Cherokee National Courthouse. Wow. Um, and I visit with my friends and I eat all kinds of food that I can't get in Minnesota and, <laughs> you know, hang out. But, it sounds wonderful. Is it, I mean, is, is it welcome to everybody or? Yep. Anybody's um, welcome. Everybody's well. welcome. Yeah. A hundred thousand people come down. It's, it's mm -hmm. a really big event. There's like, and it's spread out all over the place. There's an art show. There's, I can't even think of all the stuff they've got, but, um, yeah. So it's just days of days of fun events and hanging out with your friends and family. And, um, yeah. the best part is coming to watch me play stickball. <laughs> yeah, which is which is an original form for people who don't know stickball is one of the original forms of the sport of lacrosse and we still play the traditional game with two wooden sticks huh. and there's no pads and it's full contact full on tackle and um i play goalie i used to play defense a lot but i've gotten older and now i don't run as well so i like to play goalie and we so the we have a little leather ball that we throw with the two sticks and the goals are like these, I guess they're four by fours. They're about 18 feet tall and they've got a stand. They sit in them and they put them in the end zone of the football field at the high school. And we play under the lights and the, the opposing team can score a point by either hitting, throwing the ball and hitting the post from any side. Mm -hmm. Or if they have the ball on their sticks and they touch the, and put, they run up and touch the post with their sticks with the ball in it. That's also a point. And there used to be in the old version of the game, um, a carved fish on top. And if you hit that, you got a certain number of, I think it was five points. Huh. Um, but we play the, the, uh, the version now with just the post. So I had never heard of stickball, but was really fascinated and, of course, had to Google a video. I did post one um, on my website if you want to check it out. I was just so amazed and fascinated and it made me realize that uh, like American football you know these guys are very tough but yet at the same time maybe we're a bunch of weenies because we have all this padding and protection and really you could just get out there and tackle each other with none of that on and still have a great time apparently and the goalie has to protect all four sides I mean wow. all 360 degrees around that post Huh. And so the defense, one of their goal, one of their roles is to yell what side of the huh. post the ball's on. So if I'm there and I've got my sticks up protecting the post and they're yelling behind you, behind you, so uh. I have to flip around. And wow. so I suffered, I broke my finger one oh year my gosh. Um, and we don't stop the game for an injury, by the way. <laughs> so I just played with my fingers sticking out at a weird angle. And uh. one, one year I separated my shoulder and got my knee wrenched um, from getting from getting kind of blindsided by somebody who hit me. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's a game that's of deep spiritual importance to Turkey mm -hmm. people. Cause we, there's a religious purpose to the game when we play, when we play it and there's, we have a medicine version we play for people who are sick or, who, you know, need some kind of like intervention. And, yeah. and then, um, then we also play the, the fun game, the social game, which is what we play on 
Saturday under the lights at the high school. Ah. So it's fun. That's but that's the highlight for me of the Cherokee National Holiday. Yeah. Cause I usually I usually leave on Sunday sometimes. So by that point, I can maybe get into the car and yeah. I can like reach my shoulder. I almost <laughs> reach the steering wheel. Fast. Yeah, you must really love it. Like I get beat up and it's yeah. so great. Yeah. Yeah. And my family says, when are you going to stop playing? Uh, I said, well, I'm, when I'm the oldest guy out there, I'll start thinking about retirement. Oh I'm not the oldest person on the field. There's, wow. there's some older guys out there. Some like a lot of times, um, some of our elected leaders will come out and play. Uh, but the former chief, um, Chad Smith plays most years and his son plays. Um, we had one of the deputy chiefs, I think it was two, three years ago played and he was a little bit out of practice, but it's a pretty, it's a rough and tumble game and people, you know, they'll bleed there, you know, there's blood and wow. um, you have to be pretty serious about it. It's, it's a young man's game though. So I'm probably toward the end of my career, <laughs> toward the end of my career now, but I still wow. like to play. Yeah. Oh man. It'd be fun to watch. Yeah. It is. So. And you can, we have lots of videos online. I think some of them I'm even playing goalie. Um, oh, cool. But if you can see it's full tackle and it's just like people just kind of, the only real rule is, you know, well, first off, you can't lose your temper. You can't say bad things. But wow. um, you, when you tackle somebody, you have to throw your sticks down. You can't have your sticks in your hand when you tackle somebody. So you'll see guys throwing their sticks and grabbing other people. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of fun to watch, too. My daughter, um, Jessie, my youngest daughter, always likes to come um, down to the holiday and watch me play and then give me a hard time about how much I looked like I was crying out oh. there. You looked like you were crying. I was I was crying. I broke my finger. I was crying. <laughs> so tell me, you said that. So how many kids do you have? I have two daughters. Both two daughters. daughters. And, yep. Any grandkids? Nope. Nope. No. Both both girls are in serious relationships, but no grandkids yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, well, I did want to talk to you this month specifically the timing just happened to work out um mm -hmm. national native american heritage month i think it's great to set aside time to learn more but yet like a lot of things i wish it's just something we learned about all year long um yep. and i have a few questions for you like what do you think is the biggest misconception people have about living as a native american like as a modern day like what do you think is the biggest misconception people have uh, people think we get everything for free and we don't pay taxes. <laughs> I hear okay. that a lot. Wow. I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> I pay a lot of taxes. Wow. A lot of taxes. And I, the only thing I get for free right now from the tribe, I get free language lessons. Well, actually, I have to pay for the newspaper. I was going to say I get the newspaper for free, but not. they made us start paying for that. So I have to pay my newspaper subscription now. But we do get free language lessons online. Huh. Um, that's, you know, our youth, it, like if I lived in, so Cherokee Nation is the 14 northeastern counties in Oklahoma. Okay. That's called our tribal jurisdiction area, which is just became officially a reservation because it was recent Supreme Court ruling. Before that, it was only a tribal jurisdiction area. Um, Cherokee Nation, um, if I live down there, there, I'm eligible for, you know, healthcare and things like that through treaty, you know, Indian Health Service, there's the nation clinics and stuff like that. And then um, my kids could have gotten their tribal scholarships for um, kids who go to college, but you have to live in the tribal jurisdiction area. So we, okay. we didn't, we lived in Minnesota, so my kids didn't get those scholarships. Um, so, I mean, so I, there are things, tribal members do get certain benefits. I don't want people to, you know, misconstrue what I'm saying, but um, because I live in Minnesota and because I make, you know, I make a good living. I'm not, uh, I don't receive a lot of need based stuff. And, um, because I don't live in a tribal jurisdiction area, I don't you know. Um, I'm not eligible for certain things that people down there get. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, that's one that I wouldn't have, um, anticipated. So, um, I appreciate you clarifying that because there may be people out there who have that misconception. So, Hmm. Oh, the thing about taxes, too, one, the thing I think that confuses people is that if you're an American Indian who lives on an American Indian reservation and works on an American Indian reservation, then you do not have to pay federal, ta federal income taxes on the income earned in your job on the reservation where you live. Gotcha. Um, so that's the only time you still face, you know, in some cases, state taxes. Yeah. But, um, but 
I think people think that, you know, we're all running around just <laughs> not, not paying any taxes. Wow. I wish that were true. I wish that myth were true. Oh gosh. <laughs> I got everything for free and I didn't have to pay any taxes. That would be what a life. Yeah. I, uh, being self-employed, it's like you, it's like you're just faced with your taxes, just like right here versus so, but, um, here's a, potentially a loaded question for you what are your thoughts right. what are your thoughts on columbus day <laughs> well my family has always called it survivor's day um what this was another mind-blowing moment in this interview where um i just absolutely fell in love with this term and i'd never heard it before i'd heard indigenous people's day but survivor's day wow that's just incredibly powerful and I think I'm just going to use that from now on. Also want to clarify by saying Survivor's Day, I am educating my children and others about who the actual survivors were. Not that it was necessarily me because the majority of my ancestry is European. So we actually benefited from that nonsense, which is ridiculous. Um, we'd always talk about Survivor's Day. So I always use it as an opportunity to talk to my kids about, you know, resilience and you know it, it, it was for me it would always morph into a talk you know talk about the trail of tears and what mm -hmm. happened to Cherokee people um you know that over the years you know they've done a lot of I should say they um non-native people Europeans mostly who came to this country um did a lot of stuff to move Indian people or to take away our what what we had what they wanted that we had mm -hmm. um and but you know, through it all, we're still here. We're still standing, still thriving in many ways. Mm. Um, we still have our cultures. And so, you know, so it's always an opportunity to talk to my kids about, you know, the fella came to, you know, with the Western Hemisphere. I don't know that he ever really landed on mainland North America. I think it was in like Haiti or Hispaniola or someplace where, you know, um, but it came here, brought disease, he brought greed, um, took things that didn't belong to him. And yet, you know, here we still are. And yeah. so just kind of a way for us to reflect on we struggled, but in the end, we persevered. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. And um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I think you, yeah, we're friends on Facebook. So you probably see my okay. rants I go, <laughs> I go off <laughs> on. But when I read the White House's, Columbus Day Proclamation, I I felt sick and just, I think my hair caught on fire. I, I was just, I, I can't say I was shocked, but just the, how blatant it was. And it's it just, so, just so disheartening. Yeah, well, I expected no less from these knuckleheads. Um, well, yeah, and I, it's, um, so I've been, um, can't say homeschooling like my mm -hmm. fourth grader is doing remote learning and it's um mm -hmm. it's been really fascinating just finding out what they are learning in school and their curriculum because <laughs> i remember what i learned and you make the assumption that things have changed but in a lot of ways they haven't mm -hmm. so for example um she was doing a social studies lesson on california and they were talking about um Spanish missionaries and conquistadors and talk about that she had to like label all the missions in California on this map <laughs> and um, said something along the lines of uh, said Native Americans were uh, expected to work at the missions and they weren't paid but they were provided food and shelter <laughs> and I, it gave me an <laughs> right and it, it gave me that opportunity to say okay here's what that really means because if she had learned that in the right. classroom I don't right. know how, you know, and so I was grateful to have the heard Indians it. were allowed to work. For yeah, expected to, years. no, yeah. forced to, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm guessing I already know what your thoughts would be on the proposed 1776 commission and the way we are, the way that um, the current administration, our former, however you say it, whatever it is right now, had planned on teaching about um, colonization. Um, anyways, I just don't know if you had any thoughts on that particular curriculum that was you, proposed. You know, I, you know, I think about, 
you know, we as parents have a responsibility to teach our kids. I always told my kids, and something I learned from, you know, my elders, many of whom have passed now, but, you know, that as Indian people, at least from my tradition and the tradition of like when I used to live in the Iroquois territories, um, you know, we dance in a circle and we tell our kids that as we're dancing in the circle, we turn toward the middle during different parts of the dance. And it's one way for us to realize that we're all seeing the same fire or whatever's in the middle of the circle. We're all seeing it from a different perspective. Now, your perspective is different from mine, but it's not wrong. It's not right. It's just different from mine. So I tell my kids, like, when you're being taught something in school, it's one person's perspective or mm -hmm. one group of people's perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, not wrong, not right. But certainly, if you're the Spanish missionary, you certainly saw this mission differently than the Indians did. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I wanted the kids to know that, you know, to succeed in the, the school, what you're going to have to do many times is to give the answer from the perspective of the person who wrote the lesson. Mm -hmm. I said, that's what the expectation is going to be. I said, but I'm going to tell you from my perspective. <laughs> what this so personally, as a parent to white children, I try to explain these other perspectives and um, everyone who's involved in a story and how it impacted them. But sadly, a lot of parents don't explain that to their children. And in fact... Uh, I've got a lot of friends who are teachers who have tried to introduce um, different curriculum to help tell more well-rounded stories and have been vilified for that. So um, I really appreciated Art's perspective on this. And I think it's more important than ever as parents and as educators to keep trying to expand uh, the diversity of the stories that we're telling. Stories. And so, you know, we'd have these conversations around things like the Trail of Tears or, mm -hmm. you know, other other parts of our history that they might not learn about. And we, we did a lot as a family going to back down to North Carolina and Tennessee to the old Cherokee homelands and mm -hmm. seeing where we actually came from. And then it gave us a chance to talk about our family and how we came to be in Oklahoma. And once we were there, what happened to us and how things, you know, how tough our like my grandmother had it how tough her parents had it mm -hmm. and you know she had uh 10 brothers and sisters that lived past childhood and they all went wow. their various ways and the government picked them up and moved them different places many of them got moved to california but some got moved to kansas city and um, so a lot of my family is still in the kansas city area because that's um where my uh, several of my uncles got moved to work on building buildings, you know, mm. build their iron workers. And so, um, you know, just having that opportunity to talk with my kids. So, I, do I wish the schools taught about us better? Yep. But at the same time, I recognize that they, they aren't now and the change is going to be slow and incremental. So it's my responsibility as a parent then to have that conversation with my kids. And I don't want to lay it all on the parents. I mean, we should be, we should definitely be advocating for change. We should be pushing our schools to do better. But we also have to recognize that, you know, we can't just leave our kids behind. So as my mm -hmm. kids were going to school, I made sure that they knew the things that I thought was important for them to know that yeah. I was told when I was a kid. So, so if, if you were in charge of curriculum, what would students be learning about Thanksgiving? Like, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. What would that curriculum look like if, if you could be in charge of it? Um, less football and, you know, <laughs> um, well, you know, I think it's, it's, I, I had the opportunity, um, when I lived in New York, I was at a teacher training I was taking part in. And one of the other guests was a guy who was, who worked at the Plymouth plantation. He's since passed, but he was, mm. um, from the tribe who was at Thanksgiving wow. and, so he was, and he had very dark skin and his hair was, you know, closely cropped and he had a kind of a top knot and he had tattoos all over his face and large, um, like ear piercings. So he, and he dressed as his ancestors would have dressed when the pilgrims were here. So I did a little research and um, apparently the tribe, I think he's referring to, and um, Art, please correct me if I'm wrong, is the Wampanoag tribe. And I'm putting in a really interesting article um, on my website about uh, a more authentic and historically accurate 
version of what happened on Thanksgiving and the time leading up to it. Wow. And so he was talking to teachers. He, was, he said, do I look like any picture you've ever seen of Thanksgiving? <laughs> he said, no. He said, you know, every picture you see is like some guy sitting there in a Lakota headdress and some woman in buckskin carrying a turkey on a platter. And he said, that was not how it would have been. And so I, I think that the closer we can get to what actually happened. The other thing I think is important to share from our cultural perspective is that um, for a lot of Native people, I'm, I'm not going to generalize, right? But I think for a lot of Native people, um, everyday is Thanksgiving, right? We're, yeah. we're thankful for a lot of things and we're taught to live our lives in a thankful way. Um, I was taught when I was younger that when we, when we pray to the creator, we don't ask for anything. Mm. We pray to the creator and thank him for the things mm -hmm. that, we, that he's given us. And so that's, I mean, that is, that's a different way of looking at the world from maybe the dominant culture might have, you know? And yeah. so, um, I think it's important for the, you know, for people to know that there are different ways to look at the world than you've maybe been taught. Mm -hmm. And there are different ways to see the world than you look at the world. And the more that kids hear about different perspectives, I think the, the more, you know, the, the better they're going to be um, when they go out into the world, the, the better equipped they're going to be when they go out to the world. People are different. You know, no matter where you work, you're going to come up against people who are different from you. And, you know, and you'll work better with them if you can understand that we all have different perspectives. Mm -hmm. They're not wrong or right, just different perspectives. Yeah, I think I, I struggle with that sometimes, too, is, you know, thinking that there certainly has to be somebody who's wrong here, like somebody... <laughs> You know, and I'm not saying that people are never wrong. I yeah. mean, there are people who do wrong things or say, but I mean, if we're all looking at the same set of facts and we have different opinions yeah. about it or different views of it, that's, I mean, those are different opinions and different views. But, you know, what we've struggled with in the last four years in particular is, you know, people who want to make up their own set of facts. Yeah. If we can't agree on the facts. We'll never have a good conversation. We're never going to get to common ground if we can't even agree on, you know, that the sky is blue or that COVID virus will kill you. Yeah, you know, we can't agree that a pandemic is killing people, and that there are some things we can do to prevent it, never mm -hmm. to, you know, help head it off. Then yeah. we'll never get to, you know, we'll never get to agreement on anything. I keep I keep hearing the term post truth society, and it's so mm -hmm. terrifying. And that's part of I think what drives me as a writer and a storyteller and truth teller is just to keep, mm -hmm. you know, pounding that drum, keep telling that truth. Yep. I think it matters. Um, you're talking about a little bit about spirituality earlier. I am um, kind of going through a phase of deconstruction of my faith. Mm -hmm. um, had a lot of past trauma, was raised Catholic. I've got a grenade thrown in the middle of that. And as I'm kind of wrestling with my faith now, especially looking at how Christianity just caused a swath of destruction in so many ways. And I'm, I'm looking at, um, uh, that spirituality you talked about being grateful of being thankful. And um, mm -hmm. I, so I recently, I don't know if you've read this book or uh, Caitlin Curtis, the book native. Mm -hmm. um, she um, is uh, a native woman. She's from the Potawatomi nation, but she's a Christian and she talks about her faith and, and you know, and um, her native ancestry. And so I'm really looking forward to reading this because I think, you know, like I was taught, the things I was taught growing up, especially, just don't make any sense now, you know, thinking mm -hmm. um, Christ came in this form and wasn't available to people before this certain time, and well, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. And I look to nature so often now, and I find more spiritual meaning in nature um, than I do any, about anything else right now. I've got this, <laughs> I've got this white squirrel that's living <laughs> in my yard, and he's just, he, she, I don't know which it is, but it's so rare and, and it's just, at least where, where we live, it's, I've never, I think on the East coast, they're a lot more common, but. Um. Okay. So white squirrel, blonde squirrel, whatever you want to call it. It's not albino, but it is just the most beautiful thing. And I will put a picture of him or her on my website. You know, I can look out and think, okay, my squirrel's here. Like everything's okay. Like, um, he has a lot of meaning to me. And I told our mm -hmm. cat, I said, if you've killed that squirrel, you are fired. <laughs> we have a, a cat who is a hunter and he kills things. And I'd be absolutely devastated if he killed my squirrel. Do, yeah. 
Yeah, so, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. So um, I I wanted to ask you a few questions, if it's okay. And I I mentioned this yep. before. So I discovered through doing a lot of research on Ancestry.com. I got a membership a couple of years ago. Drove my husband crazy. Just hours and hours and hours I'd spend on there. Found out we're related to Elvis Presley, which is pretty cool. <laughs> it's like All right. my dad's sixth cousin. Um, it counts somehow, though. But it does. Uh, okay. You know, I know. It's funny. It's my dad looked like him when he was younger, and my brother and I were convinced that my dad was Elvis Presley because they're about the same age, <laughs> and that he faked, he faked his own he death. He faked his death. Yes. That's yeah. it. Um, yeah. So I'd always been told that we had an ancestor who was Cherokee. Mm-hmm. And um, then I finally found out the exact ancestor it was. And in doing my research, I got pretty close. I just, it, it was never, there was never any true verification. And then I started doing research about that genealogy in general. And then I opened this whole can of worms about how so many white people have been told they have native mm-hmm. ancestry and they don't. And I mean, it just was like explosion, like, wow, it's just so mind boggling because everybody it seems like everybody says, oh, yeah, we're this, we're that, we're that. You're probably not. And, and I, you know, I'm trying to like figure out why that is. Um, you know, why has there been this false claim to having some indigenous ancestor? My husband, my husband, exact same thing, you know, in his family tree, I've, I research it back you know, generations, generations. We both did the DNA testing course that I think came up. Mm-hmm. Um, but his was completely void of any possibility or potential. And his mom was just flabbergasted. She would say, she said, my grandma told me she was Cherokee. She told me, <laughs> you know, how, you know, yeah. how, so is that, I don't know. Is this old news? Is it something? Well, it most is, people are, it's old news to native people. Right. I mean, it, it does happen. Okay. Every, you know, every like book reading I do or every event that I go to, people will come up to tell me about the Cherokee ancestry. And I've only had once, and it was, it's actually um, the um, partner of a family member, and I won't, I won't say who, <laughs> um, who, there's only been one who came up, she told me that she had a Cherokee ancestor and needed my help. And so I had her send me the information, and she actually did, had a ancestor right on the roll but wow. she thought she was about a quarter Cherokee she have to be like one 564th or whatever yeah. percentage is going back I don't I'm making that number up off the top of my head but whatever that percentage is around 500 and something um and that's what she is and so then of course wants to know well, what are the benefits what do you get uh-huh. <laughs> a hearty handshake <laughs> and a, and generations of shared trauma <laughs> A hearty handshake and generations of shared trauma. <laughs> wow. That was um, very powerful. Um, yeah. You know, it's, there are a lot of people who do have that story in their family. And for many people, um, you know, because of the diaspora of Native people, particularly the Cherokee Nation after the, before and after the Trail of Tears, um, there are a lot of people who have some ancestor in their family who might have been of Cherokee descent Mm -hmm. but to um, be a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma I'm only talking about the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma not the Katua Band or the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians have different enrollment but because I'm from Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma I can talk about that one a little bit more authoritatively to enroll as a citizen of the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma you have to prove lineal descent to somebody who appears on this role that was taken by um, the war department back in the early 1900s. It's a Dawes Dawes, Yeah. The Dawes role. D-A-W-E-S. Not the uh, great rock group Dawes, but general uh, secretary Dawes of the war department. Um, So now there are a lot of people. I've had a lot of friends over the years whose families were moved before the trail of tears who like there's, big settlements in, in Arkansas called old settlers who mo- who were moved there and did not get, you know, had their, um, did not participate in the role when Dawes took the roles. And so they're not eligible for enrollment in the tribe. They might be, you know, hundred percent Cherokee Indian, but they're not wow. eligible for citizenship in the tribe because that is our rule for becoming a citizen of the Cherokee nation of Oklahoma. 
And so, and it's lineal descent. There's not a blood quantum. So you could have, you could be like one, three thousandth or whatever that percentage is, Cherokee. And as long as you have an ancestor on the DAWs, on the DAWs role that you can Mm. draw lineal descent to. And there's actually an office at Cherokee Nation that will help you if you've got, um, if you've got some of the genealogy already done, they will help you with getting the paperwork and everything together. And then we have a registration office that people can submit to mm-hmm. and, and enroll. So people are, people do enroll all the time. People will go back through their family histories and find the paperwork. And then, you know, you have to have birth records, marriage records, yeah. everything that connect you linearly to that person on the roll. Can't be tangential. You can't be like, you know, second, third cousin over. You got to be yeah. lineal descent from that person. So it can be a grandparent, great grandparent, whatever on that role. Um, and so, um, like I said, there, so there are a lot of people who do have, you know, um, a Cherokee ancestor who was not enrolled. And yeah. so they themselves don't qualify for enrollment. It might be, you know, like I said, could be hundred percent Indian. Mm-hmm. but not eligible for enrollment in the tribe because that is our current law for becoming a Cherokee citizen. So if you yourself uh, have been told that you have a Cherokee ancestor and you run into a dead end on your research and are wondering more about this shared myth, I posted a very interesting article about it on my website. And there are other tribes that have, um, like where I live now in Minnesota, the Ojibwe bands, there are... Um, seven I'm gonna say seven Ojibwe bands in Minnesota and each of them I believe has I think they all have the same you have to be 25 percent blood of the band to enroll in that to be enrolled in the band so if you were a person whose parent was a quarter this quarter that quarter this one you can't enroll in any of those tribes because you're an eighth of that an eighth of that an eighth of that unless wow. your other parent was also quarter 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 so I've got a lot of a lot of friends whose grandchildren aren't eligible, might be 100% native, but aren't eligible for wow. enrollment in any tribe because they don't have mm. border blood quantum from any one tribe. Wow. And a lot of tribes are looking at that now and and trying to think of maybe different ways or better ways to um, enroll citizens that don't involve um, you know requiring strict border blood quantum, but. Mm. It's, up to each, it's up to each nation to decide its citizenship requirements. And so that's kind of where we leave it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fascinating. And I, I'm wondering, do you think it's more helpful or more harmful for a bunch of white people to have this myth, whether it's a myth or not? Like now that you've explained it, I can see how maybe it's more potential there. But it's almost, you know, there's it's, there's a pride to it. You know, it's something people are very proud of. Um. <clears throat> And, you know, I, and it's, it's like, I don't know, but I think, I think also it's, it's kind of served as this way for people to feel like they have more claim to being here, even though they're just as much an immigrant as mm-hmm. the people, you know, the people immigrating to our country now, you know, I just don't know. Right. I kind of wrestled with whether it's well, helpful or harmful. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't see either way. I mean, it's, it is what it is. I'm, oh. The part that gets draining sometimes people like their question is like, what do I get for it? Mm. And I was like, well, <laughs> you know, be careful what you wish for because, mm. you know, wow. native people sometimes have it pretty hard. And so, you know, uh, be yeah. careful what you wish for because if you want the full weight of, you know, mm-hmm. 500 years of oppression, we can, we can deliver that to you, your, your share of it, you know, since you've not had to endure it until now. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, um, we sometimes roll our eyes when people come up or we'll say something kind of like that. But, you know, I also try to think that, like you said, sometimes it's people are proud of their family story and I, I try not to be too hard on them, you know, but, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, I also don't want to lead them on either. I've spent a lot of mm-hmm. time sending people just information. You know, here's a link to the Dawes rolls. You can search for your, mm-hmm. your relative on here. But you got to know the name. You got to know the relative's name, and you got to go back and find that that person's you know birth record. And you got to find the their next their next uh, layer down in the generation their their birth records, and you got to start putting it together and get to you. So, mm-hmm. but. That's hard for people sometimes to get the stories, but you, it's hard to get the paperwork. 
Yeah, um, I'm going to share my screen here real quick, if you don't mind. And this, this year. So this is where I took poor art on a little bit of a rabbit trail into my own research on Ancestry.com. And uh, he was gracious enough to indulge me, which I appreciate. So this is my supposed ancestor. And there's some better pictures of her. But what's the, the timeline from what my research I did was after the Trail of Tears. But she's from Tennessee. Mm -hmm. But there was apparently a group of Cherokee that hid out. Yeah, they're still there in North Carolina on the Kuala okay. Reservation. That's the eastern band of Cherokee Indians. Okay. So I don't know. Like, I looked on the Dawes Roll, and, you know, there was, yeah, she, there was nothing so there. If she was, if she was there, um, if she was in Tennessee, um, she would be on um, one of those other um, – there the Guion Miller role for the Eastern band. They, so they've got different roles that they use for the Eastern band. Okay. So even this little bit of information Art was able to give me was extremely helpful because I had been doing research about the wrong nation of Cherokee. So now that I know it's Eastern band Cherokee, I can start pursuing uh, research in that direction, which was extremely helpful. Um, but it depends on where she was when the roles were taken. You know, if she was living in Tennessee when the roles were taken, or if she was, if she wasn't living in any of our territories, she might not have been, you know, might not have even been brought into any of the roles because she wasn't there. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, she's my closest um, direct ancestor. That the line just runs out. Like everybody else, I can figure out who their parents were, who their parents were, and hers it just stops. You know, like there's nothing, there's no documentation of who her parents were, or who they're, you know, so it's been pretty, yeah. frust pretty frustrating, but I just, I just know for me personally, I just, um, I've always been fascinated by it and, um, and proud of it. But at the same time, like, well, maybe it wasn't true, but you know, everybody swears that it is. So, um, oh yeah, she, she might very well be, you know, a Cherokee person who didn't get caught up in either of the two roles and so was not enrolled in the tribe. But, you know, it doesn't mean she's, you know, not of Cherokee blood or Cherokee descent. There are a lot of people who say, I'm of Cherokee descent. I'm not enrolled as a citizen. I'm of mm -hmm. Cherokee descent. And, you know, it's the thing, you know, for me, too, as we go through the generations and, you know, the, there's still a lot. Of, I don't want to say there's not full blood people. There are full blood people. But, you know, many of us have married or our families have intermarried with other, you know, people of other races or maybe even other tribes. And so as a Cherokee blood dilutes in some families, um, I really think the important thing down the road for us is going to be the, the cultural connection, staying culturally mm -hmm. connected to our tribe, um, you know, keeping the language alive and that sort of thing. Um, because, you know, <laughs> the heart wants what the heart wants. And so you don't always marry somebody from your tribe. <laughs> You, know, you you do what you do, and but I think at the end of the day, the thing that's important to me, I can, you know, some sometimes when people come up to me at you know conference or whatever and say, "Well, I'm Cherokee," so I start talking to them in Cherokee. So I'm like, mm -hmm. "Well, do you speak the language? Where are you from? Where's your family from? You know, how connected are you to the tribe?" Because um, I don't care what your blood quantum is, I don't care you know what percentage you are or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you now, are you connected? you you know make an effort to learn the language and that sort of thing that's that's what seems to be important to me and yeah speaking only for myself no. speaking only for myself as one person yeah and it's it's a shame you know you said earlier people are like well, what can i i get from it and yeah um i don't know i i would hope that people would want to dig deeper, find out those connections. And, you know, the question would be like, what can I give? Or, you know, how can I give back or yep. be a part of it and learn the culture and the language and, and celebrate that? Um, Cause I, I just, you know, like you said before, there's, there's so many different perspectives and things that we need to learn. And um, I would hope that people would, would want to get more involved. Now that's, you know, thinking back to people like, you know, I worked, for the Wilma Mankiller Foundation and the things that Wilma talked about are, you know, what 
what we had an obligation to give back as Cherokee people to build a stronger Cherokee nation and to leave a better nation for our kids and stuff. And also thinking back to, there's a great Cherokee leader and statesman, Redbird Smith, who talked about like the creator gave, had this defined purpose for the Cherokee people. And that it was our, kind of our responsibility to live up to that purpose. So always thinking about the bigger picture, like it's not like you say, not, not what can I get, but what can I give? And you know what? What's my role in in making the nation stronger, and you know, leaving a better nation for my kids and uh, and mm-hmm. my grandkids and my great grandkids. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I know we got a couple minutes left. I want to ask you. There's the two questions I'm trying to ask every guest I have. Okay. The first question is: Have you ever wanted to trade being brave for being safe? <laughs> Do you mean? Did I, was I brave and wanted to be safe or was I safe and wanted to be brave? Well, either, um, either one you want to talk about. I was going to say yes to both. Um, I mean, sometimes you're brave and not very smart. Um, <laughs> I should have thought about being being safe. And then there are times when I've been safe. You know, growing up, there are often times when I, you know, I'd see people doing brave things around me. I think, wow, and I wish I had that in me. And sometimes it wasn't necessarily bravery I was seeing, but maybe somebody acting without thinking. So I always mm-hmm. try to think too, you know, bravery is not always acting without thinking, but often what people think of as bravery is um, somebody doing something rash. Um, to me, sometimes being brave is, is not doing something. It's, mm-hmm. you know, being willing to not say something or not do something mm-hmm. um, and take the consequences. And so I mean, yeah, I think about bravery a lot. I think about what it means to, like, particularly when I'm writing for young people, like, they get a lot going on in their life. And, you know, sometimes just getting up and going to school is an act of bravery. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. just being yourself in a classroom for the people who don't look like you is bravery. So um, I think then, then when you're, you make that act of bravery, then you're looking for your safety and your friends and maybe mm-hmm. the, the adults in your life who give you some stability and so, yeah, I mean, so the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a weird question, Both but ways. it, 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 it elicits yeah. interesting answers. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. My final question. It's, it's kind of strange. You might have to think about it. Um, what is your hype song? You're a keynote speaker at a conference and you get to play any song that you want walking onto the stage. What's your hype song? Wow. I got so many of them. Oh. Um, you can name a think, couple. Um, I'm not going to ask you to sing them unless you want to. Well, let me think. Yeah, it makes it different when you think about. It. I'm walking out on stages. I'm thinking, what what songs get me up? You know, what yeah. songs when I'm kind of need to be charged up or whatever? And it's like usually something pretty bouncy by like Lou Reed or you know, something like that. Um, maybe maybe something by Tom Waits. People all think Amos getting you up, but he's got some pretty good, uh, some pretty uh, bouncy songs. I, I like the song "Heart Attack and Vine." Ah, um, it's got that, it's got that great line in it. You know, you know there ain't no devil; it's just God when he's drunk. You know, uh-huh. like, look at the world <laughs> that way. You know? So here's just the uh, instrumental opening to that song, and I could totally see how it would give someone a bit of good energy. the way that Tom Waits sees the world and he spent a lot of time in the part of California where my family got moved and so I think that we both kind of have that skewed perspective from Southern California yeah no that's great well I really enjoyed talking to you and I love you know little shared connections the Southern California thing and the Oklahoma thing and I swear you have certain mannerisms and your facial features are like my dad he said, I was, I was hoping you didn't mean that I was like as old as your dad, but uh, you're younger than my dad. No, my dad passed seven years ago, but he was, Oh, sorry. He's older. I don't know how old you are though. So I won't give Art's age away, but he's probably about 20 years younger than my dad would be now. But yeah, I have this, I don't know if it's cause I have this weird facial blindness thing where everybody looks like somebody else to me, but, um, definitely, definitely saw a resemblance there. And I had one other person confirm that. So, 
I am not crazy. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And uh, oh, I'm going to try to get this, it. yeah, try to get this put together and get it posted tomorrow. So what is, uh, tomorrow's Friday the 13th. I'm not a superstitious person, but <laughs> if you want me to avoid posting it on Friday the 13th, I can. But. I don't care. No, I'm not. Well, Cherokee is suspicious about everything. So um, yeah, I mean, superstitious about everything. My, uh, my grandmother was a traditional healer uh, and she would, talk about she would always call the things that she did our Cherokee superstition she'd say that uh. that's just a superstition people come from all over and when she was living in California she got moved out there and I didn't know there were California Indians when we moved out there mm -hmm. I didn't know there were actual Indians who lived in California because we got moved out there so everybody around us was Indian from different places so yeah. Comanches and you know Osage and people like that were out there and it wasn't until I was almost an adult that I learned there were actually California Indians. I was like, really? I lived out there. I never saw them. And, but people would come from all over to my grandmother for medicine. Mm. And so, but she would always tell me, she'd mix up and said, what are you making? And she said, well, it's just, yeah, it's just Cherokee superstition. She uh, would tell me. So she wouldn't talk about it. Wow. She was making medicine. Okay, so... I'm not superstitious, but now that Art mentioned all of that, I had better go ahead and make sure this posts on Friday the 13th because maybe it would be bad luck to post it later. I don't know. I do know that this was a wonderful conversation. Um, like I said, I was educated. I was entertained. And I hope that you will... Uh, seek out your own resources uh, to find out more about your history if you're in a position like I am and have been told you have a Native American ancestor but have never quite got to the bottom of it. I would encourage you to do your research and find that out for sure and to celebrate that culture and also encourage you to check out Art and his work, uh, especially his new book, The Reluctant Storyteller. You can find out more about him at artcolson.com. Again, that's A-R-T. C-O-U-L-S-O-N.com. And I've put quite a few links uh, to different resources and things we talked about during the show on my website. So I hope you'll check that out. If you like today's podcast, I hope you stay in touch. And I'd love to hear your ideas for who I should interview in the future. You can reach out at catpoland.com. Or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at catpoland. Or on Facebook, catpoland author and storyteller. And I hope you subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on iTunes and Spotify and also on Google Podcasts. Thanks for listening and don't forget that good things happen when you step out of line.